Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Before I tell you who's on this week's show, I have some exciting news. Last week, I told you that the Parting Shots Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts. Now, the podcast is available on Spotify. I am very happy to increase my opportunity to be heard on many social media platforms. So make sure you subscribe today. It's free, and free is good. We have another great show for you. Former Schenectady Gazette sports writer Tim Layden will join me to talk about his years at the Gazette and his new role with NBC Sports Group after a 25-year career at Sports Illustrated. The timing of this interview is perfect since the Gazette is celebrating its 125th anniversary. I spoke with former New York Yankee players Greg Nettles, Mike Torres, and Mike Pagliarulo, who were at River Sportsbook last Saturday signing autographs and got their thoughts on the state of Major League Baseball. And Delhi Gazette sports editor Mike Kelly makes his weekly appearance to talk about the five high school football games to watch this weekend. Plus, he will offer his thoughts on the departure of wide receiver Dev Holmes from the UAlbany football team. My first guest is Jack Adams, the outstanding junior forward for the Union College men's hockey team. A sixth-round selection of the Detroit Red Wings in the 2017 NHL Draft, Adams was expected to be one of the top scorers returning to the Dutchman this season. But in July, Adams suffered a knee injury at the Red Wings prospect camp. The injury will keep him out a few months. I sat down with Adams on September 20th at Messerink to talk about the injury, how he's doing with that, and how he is still dealing with the death of his older brother, Mark, on September 18th of last year. Here is my interview with Jack Adams. Good. Thanks for coming on the Parting Shots podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, obviously, it's been a tough off season for you. You went to Detroit Red Wings uh, prospects camp and uh, you injured your knee. Can you explain what happened, uh, what the injury is, and how long you're going to be uh, sidelined? Yeah, so it's a tough break, obviously. But you know, the last day of the uh, development camp, I was feeling pretty strong, confident, and first shift into the game, I was coming across the middle. Uh, unfortunately, got hit in the side of my knee didn't think much of it got up and skated to finish the shift and then got back to the bench and then uh couldn't really put much weight on my on my, uh, on my leg and then rushed over to the trainer's room and they were uh, massaging it look at it and i felt a pretty strong pop and that kind of scared me and then we got a uh, mri right away and it came back that i tore my uh, acl and mcl both completely and they had to uh, repair both in surgery so uh, that was obviously tough. It was emotionally draining because you know, I felt like I had a really good off-season training-wise. But the uh, recoveries around, it, it differs from each person, anywhere from you know, 5 to 12 months. Each, each individual is different with their rehab and their healing. But I'm definitely on the, on the fast track of that, so I'm hopefully planning on being back later in the season. I mean, how frustrating was it? I mean, you say you were having a good camp, and then this happens. And what were you thinking, especially about your hockey future? Yeah, you know, it's it's really tough, but at the same time, you got to look forward. You can't really look back because at the same time, like, nothing's going to change the outcome of this injury. I mean, it sucks, obviously, but, yes, I was doing really well and felt physically and mentally strong, but at the same time, I just have to t- attack every day knowing that my knee's going to come back eventually. It's got to be patient with it and keep working. The harder you work, then the faster I'll recover. 
how long how long uh, during it, the days of rehab going to how many hours you're doing it and maybe, it's i mean there are other times you, you it's just like you don't want to go through it anymore so it's, it's six days a week i have uh i have saturdays off for college football which is nice but <laughs> six days a week and typically around you know four to six hours it's it's a lot of i have pt in the morning and i do a full body workout and i do quite a bit of massage work by trainer marco sanchez he's constantly working on my knee, my patella tendon, my range of motion. So my knee feels fantastic right now, and I'm happy with where I'm at. Is it particularly frustrating knowing that, you know, obviously this team lost nine seniors last year, and then the surprise departure of uh, Liam Morgan to uh, Europe? Yeah, we've we've definitely, uh, you know, had some guys leave and graduate, but at the same time, that's opportunity for their guys to rise up, and I'm really proud and happy with how their freshmen have worked so far, and they seem like they're all buying into the Union College culture and the way their coach wants us to play, so... I was at the lift this morning. The energy was just fantastic, and guys are really buying in. And I'm excited for this group. Like Darian said, I think we're going to be a tough team to play, and especially to get some pieces back later in the year, I think we'll be a tough team to play against. This team got off to a great start last year, uh, and then the RPI games happened, and it seemed once those games happened, the team was an up-and-down team. You play well certain games, and then other games they didn't show up. How frustrating was it, and how much soul-searching did this group do in the offseason? I think a lot. I think that we had expectations my freshman year spring, the whole offseason were just incredibly high, like a top 10 team most of the year before the Belfast trip. And then we kind of just, like you said, like one step forward, one step back kind of thing. And we just couldn't really just ever like click as an identity. And I think this spring we all sat down, the returners, and said like, hey, like we got to take the message of seniors and other guys embodied by the past 10, 15 years and try to instill it into our program in the way that identifies our culture. And I think we all worked hard this spring in doing it, and that's why it, it sucks that you know I can't completely be a part of it as we speak. But at the same time, I'm so proud of the way that the guys are working now to try to you know get Union hockey back the way it was you know in the past decade or so. How did Coach Bennett react to the injury? Unbelievable as always. I mean, I always I always tell people Coach Bennett was the first person that talked to me after the tragedy when my brother passed away and he drove me home and at the same time he was the first one I called my knee injury and like he always does he's professional and said hey we're going to get through it what's the next step got me in touch with good doctors and as always he came through you mentioned um, your brother uh, passing Mark yeah, we're, we're taping this on September 20th two days past the one year anniversary I can't imagine what it's like I mean, how do you deal with it I mean how and how is your family still dealing with it? Because obviously, it's, it's there's probably still a lot of pain there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's horrible. Like it hasn't it hasn't gotten remotely any easier. I'll tell you. And it the grieving, as you know, Ken, with your I'm sorry to hear about your situation too. But the uh, the grieving comes in cycles. I mean, I've had loads of anger and depression and sadness, but at the same time, my coping mechanism has been working out. And I try to work out every day. And our our uh, personal trainer coach Gable and Cheryl have been unbelievable with me and let me use open hours like last year I was working out almost every day and that's really helped me but the thing that helped me the most was playing hockey and that's why right now is so difficult mentally because the one thing I love doing you work so hard you get taken away from you but at the same time you can't feel sorry for yourself because it's not going to make your knee any better so it's, it's been really hard for my family and they're going through a lot still obviously because Rue is my role model in life and he was the first born and He's the best role model I could have asked for, so not having him personally each day is obviously devastating. What was he like as a, as a brother? 
He was just the best of both worlds. He was unbelievably protective, but he also set the standard for me, and he taught me how to train, he taught me how to eat, be a pro, taught me how to interact, like situations like this. He was just the best role model for me while also being so protective of my personal life, my feelings, mentally, emotionally. So he's just, and he still is my role model. I have all those memories of 22 years of all the situations that he and I have been through, so I'm blessed to have those experiences and cherish them forever. You mentioned college football. Obviously, you take Saturdays off. Who's your favorite team, and uh, what do you think they'll do? It's weird, but uh, I'm actually a Boise State fan. It's <laughs> I've, I don't know why. I don't ask, but I've been a Boise State fan since I was seven years old. I think the blue field just caught my eye, and I, I, it's weird, man, but I've been a Boise fan diehard my entire life. We're 3-0 and right now, 20th in the country, and I love what Coach Harson's doing, and we got a good defense and a good freshman in Hank, and I think they're going to surprise some teams this year. Of course, when we're taping this, they'll be playing this weekend, so they could be 4-0 and maybe I'll move up to the rank. So uh, the timetable, you're, you're setting your goal to try to get back this, this season. Do you have an exact date? I mean, you're looking at midseason uh, or sooner? Uh, not really. It's just I, I'm definitely ahead of schedule the whole rehab situation. I'm working my tail off doing as much as I can, but – at the same time, this is a life-changing injury, and you can't really mess anything up. Or like you look at guys like who've come back too fast, or careers are jeopardized. So I just gotta completely just get the nod from the doctor, coach, Cheryl, everyone, and once that happens, I'll be ready to go. How tempting is it? You want to get back on the ice sooner than what they want well, you I'm, to? I'm in that. I'm in that time period now where your knee's feeling really good, but at the same time, you do too much, you'll hurt it. So I really have to just understand that. I got to be patient, go to rehab every day, listen to what they're telling me. Just doing the physical therapy is the biggest thing. It's, it's cliche, but just do the rehab and you'll get better. And obviously, being here watching practice with you, it's just, I'm itching to get out there with the guys. I'm so excited with how they're working, but at the same time, I got to stay patient. If I do that, then I'll come back sooner. Yeah, is it good to maybe get a, see what the team's doing and maybe uh, maybe help suggest some stuff? And uh, and maybe when you come back, you can help out that way? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I really, you know, this, this weekend's been good for me because I'm really getting, getting under, understanding the freshmen's personalities and their identities and their interests and their lifestyle. And a lot of guys have been, you know, asking questions and asking input in my opinion. And I, I really appreciate that. And at the same time, the older guys are my best friends and I'm so happy to be back with them and having a weekend with those guys with the freshmen I'm really excited to you know see their abilities on the ice because off the ice they're all fantastic kids have their everyone checked in on you to see how you're doing yeah they're constantly reaching out their doctor uh, Pete Van Zandt and the GM assistant GM the player development guys have been fantastic my family and I ever since the uh, situation so they've been monitoring it and their doctors have been fantastic yeah new GM there and Steve Eisman I mean have you had a chance to talk with him I did yeah quite a bit at camp actually he uh we had a really good exit meeting, and then after my injury, he was actually waiting for me in the uh, in the lounge afterwards, and he uh, gave great advice to me, and he kind of he had a, a similar injury early in his career, and he just kind of told me it's up to me to uh, attack my rehab process, and the more I put into it, the faster I'll come back. So they're uh, supporting me 100%, and I'm blessed to have that. What did you learn about yourself at the uh, Prospects Camp? I think it was, that, I mean, I, I felt, I just felt really strong, and I used all the things I learned at Union and brought into my game in Detroit, and I just felt like I felt fantastic. And it was one of the first times where I really was just, I felt confident in the last few years. I was making plays of the puck. I was producing. I was using my size. And I think I was really starting to click at the right time, which is why this injury kind of sucks. But at the same time, you know, I just got to keep that in the back of my head and realize, like, hey, like I can do this, but if I get the rehab done, then I'll be back in no time. Well, Jack, I appreciate your few minutes. Uh, you're on the uh, Parting Shots podcast, and good luck the rest of the season. Hopefully, rehab, and now uh, you'll be back uh, 
sometime this season. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. My thanks to Jack Adams. Coming up next is Tim Layden to share his memories of working at the Schenectady Gazette and about his new job at NBC Sports Group. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hi, this is Hunter Moffat, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletes. Notable Trophy Case team members include Ron Jaworski, former NFL quarterback and founder of Jaws Youth Playbook, who says, Throughout my success in the sports world, I believe Trophy Case can bring value to many different levels of athletes and unrepresented sports. This platform will level the playing field for athletes at the beginning of their career with technology for generations to come. You can download the Trophy Case app and the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Get it today. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the Parting Shots podcast. I'm Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. If you pick up a copy of Thursday's Daily Gazette, you'll see that we are celebrating our 125th anniversary. My next guest was a sports writer for the Schenectady Gazette from 1978 to 1986. He later wrote for the Times Union and Newsday before embarking on a 25-year career at Sports Illustrated. Last week, he signed an exclusive deal with NBC Sports Group to produce long-form articles, major event stories and columns, as well as video work for NBC Sports Television and digital platforms. Please welcome to the program, Tim Layden. Tim, welcome to the uh, Party Shots Podcast, and how are you? Hey, I'm good, Ken. Well, thanks for coming on, and congratulations on your deal, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I wanted to first talk to you about your years at the Schenectady Gazette. What are your remembrances of your years there? Oh, man. I mean, it actually, I mean, it's officially 78 to 86, but actually I, I was a summer intern at the Gazette in the summers of 1976, and 77, so it really, other than stringing for a few papers when I was in college, I went to Williams um, over in Massachusetts, and uh, that was my first real newspaper job, was, was writing for the Gazette in the summer of 1976, uh, between my sophomore and junior years in college, so it's incredibly important memory to me. I made friends of the Gazette that were, that, that are that are friends to this day, and, uh, you know, guys, uh, guys like Bill Buell and Jeff Wilkin, and, uh, you know, I also... Um, just this past weekend when I was doing a horse race for, for uh, NBC, I ran into Don Crone, who uh, works for Car Hughes Productions and does a lot of logistical stuff for productions and, and telecasts. And Don was on the staff of the Gazette when I got there in 76 and, uh, you know, was a great friend then, and it was great to see him again. So it's uh, nothing but great memories. I really enjoyed my time at the Gazette, loved the chance I had to, to write and to help put out the paper every night. Um, just a really important time for me. What did you learn about your time there? Um, you know, I, I just, the thing that the Gazette taught me, and I've said this to, like, classes of, uh, of students that I've talked to, you know, the Gazette was a local newspaper. Um, 
didn't back then um, go to great lengths to cover national stories or to be anything more than a paper that served the people of largely Schenectady and Saratoga counties. And uh, although we covered things like CNN and the Patrons and stuff like that, but um, you know, it was just a, it was a chance to learn how to work fast and in volume. Um, and those are skills that became very important much later in my career. Um, and, and I, you know, I, just writing on deadline, covering a game, coming back to the office, banging it out, and then taking calls with high school sports, uh, high school basketball boxes later in the same night. And uh, it just taught you uh, one of the great skills that, that, that you have to learn as a journalist, I think, is to, to multitask, to keep a clear head, to compartmentalize. And, and to be fast and accurate all at the same time. And uh, the way the Gazette was set up at that time, everybody helped put out the paper, everybody took calls, um, everybody covered things, everybody wrote features, um, often all at the same time. And those kind of things really carried over um, and then really benefited me down the line. Was it tough leaving the Gazette to go to the rival Times Union? <laughs> it wasn't because, you know, I had been at the Gazette full-time for seven and a half years at that point, and, and as I said earlier, um, the Gazette was a local paper, and the Times Union always has been more of a regional, national, whatever you want to call it. They've, they've had a broader uh, vision than the Gazette did, and and not that either, either uh, philosophy is more important or better, but, you know, at the time, a guy named Al Vieira was the uh, executive sports editor of the Times Union, and he was Al was the guy who came in from USA Today. He was very aggressive, um, had a real, um, a real uh, broad vision for what he wanted his sports department to be. And uh, he said he offered me a job and said, "I'd like you to come over here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you to New York to baseball and football games. I'm gonna send you to spring training. I'm gonna send you the World Series, the Super Bowl." Um, shortly after I started, he put me on Mike Tyson, um, gave me a column, gave me all kinds of latitude, and I can remember going to to Butch Walker, who was the um, sports editor of the Gazette at the time. Uh, Jack Hugerich had hired me. I'd worked for Hal Buell, who's Bill's father. Um, and, and But Butch was in charge at the time, and we, we took a walk down the street um, on State Street, went down to Peggy's Restaurant and had lunch. And you know, I told him what was going on, and I told him what they were offering me. And, and he said, you know, I, I can't offer you that. It's, it's a great opportunity for you. And, and I was happy for his support it made it made it easier to leave and as i've said to people i didn't have to move i stayed in the same house <laughs> so for a few years it was a relatively easy adjustment well let's talk about your role with nbc sports group uh, you'll be writing columns features and producing video content i mean how exciting is this going to be and how will that differ from your years at sports illustrated <clears throat> well <clears throat> i hope there's some overlap <clears throat> excuse me between uh you know, I've done, I did one piece for NBC, got another one posting later today. And essentially, I'm just going about my business on the writing end, just like I did at SI. Um, make calls, talk to people, go places, write a story. And uh, that doesn't change. That hasn't changed since my time at, at, at the Gazette either. Um, and I, I'll be doing that same kind of work for NBC. Now, obviously, there's differences. They never hired anybody like me before, so it'll be a learning process for them as well as for me on that end. And, and they have business entanglements. They have contracts with the, with, with the NFL, with horse racing, with the Olympics. So there may be a little bit of, uh, you know, walking a tightrope in terms of the type of journalism I can do. But they've, they've given me freedom thus far to, 
to do what I do. So I expect that part of the job to be a lot like it's always been. I mean, journalism is journalism. And uh, I don't think that's going to be any different. And, uh, you know, the TV end, I've been doing TV essays for them for a couple of years. And I've been going on TV periodically, which, you know, all of us in modern media have been doing periodically for a long time. So, you know, that's a little bit, you know, that, that'll that be the same as it's been recently and um, not my wheelhouse, but something I've learned to do and uh, like we all have. So, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, I love my time at SI. It was, uh, I just wanted to make a change here I'm, as I get closer to the finish line and uh, experience something a little different, play for a different team. You mentioned the essays, um, Tim, and I was, my next question is going to lead into that. And when I, you know, I think of sports essays, the great Jack Whitaker comes to mind. Uh, Jack just recently passed away. Uh, how much of an influence can he be on, when you do these essays? You know, I remember Jack Whitaker, obviously, from growing up. And um, it was funny, when I first got the gig with NBC part-time a couple of years ago when I was still working for a, uh, my friend Jay Privman from the Daily Racing Club stopped me in the press box at Pimlico and said, so what are you, Jack Whitaker now? <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, I'm not as old as Jack Whitaker. Then I went back, back and looked, and I'm, I'm older than Jack Whitaker was when he started doing essays on CBS and, and elsewhere. So um, that's a matter of perspective. But, you know, I, I think that we are all the sum of the things we've consumed. You know, I mean, people have asked me who influenced my writing on a number of occasions, and I, I can't say any one thing. I just, I grew up reading a ton of sports writing, and as I got older, I read better writing of all kinds, and uh, you know, I think all those things influence what, what we do, and then, you know, I listen to Jack Whitaker, you know, I listen to Costas, I, you know, listen to uh, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann, and, and uh, you know, it's, you know, and, I, and I've met a lot of those people and, and shared ideas with them, so it's, uh, I just think you, you listen, you read, you, you imitate a little, and then you try and find your own voice, and that's kind of what I've tried to do. You know, you've been in this business a long time, Tim. Uh, yeah, I've been in it since, since my junior year of college in 1983. I mean, how has it changed from your time uh, at the Gazette to now? I mean, I, obviously with social media, I think that's been a big uh, game changer for this industry. Yeah, and even before that, just the, just the digital presence, just the fact that you can now get your news without leaving your house and, and not just with a um, – not just in terms of having a newspaper delivered to your house. I can, you know, I can walk to my home office and read the New York Times, the Washington Post, and 25 other websites every day, and that's just a hugely different, uh, a different format, a different platform that's really bruised the newspaper industry. It's cost a lot of people their jobs because newspapers didn't find a way to monetize digital media, and still, in a lot of ways, have not. Um, nobody really knows whether subscriptions or page views is the best way to go. So all that has affected everybody. Um, I mean, for me, I, I worked at Newsday uh, in a national job when it was uh, still not a digital medium. It was still newspapers delivered every day. And then that changed at the end of my time at Newsday, and then that obviously changed dramatically at SI, which when I started I was writing magazine stories 20, 25 times a year. Um, on a deadline, but not a tight deadline. And then in the middle of my tenure there, SI.com started, and suddenly I was back in the field doing game stories again. And, and you know, again, that's a place where my Gazette and Times Union and Newsday experience really helped because a lot of people got drummed out of the magazine business because they were slow and they couldn't make the transition to doing digital work at the same time. 
and because of my experience and anybody who's been in newspapers, that really wasn't such a difficult transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, but, but it's been a, it, it's been a huge roller coaster. Um, you know, it's, it's been very different and I, and I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky to, to sort of dodge all the storms along the way and, and, and keep employed and, and, uh, keep in the favor of my employers and, uh, and keep pushing forward. But it's the, the, you know, it's just when you consider what media was in 1976 when I first was an intern at the Gazette to what it is now, there's it, they bear almost no resemblance to each other. There's more good sports writing than there's ever been, and more bad sports writing than there's ever been, and it's all available every day. And uh, it's just it's just a real um, it's a wild west in a lot of ways, and and um, I, I don't envy someone in their 30s or 40s trying to make their way in the business. Yeah. What is the most memorable sports event you covered? And I'll, I'll, I'll ask this question because I happened to saw, see a tweet uh, on Tuesday uh, reminding you that you covered the infamous, uh, not the, the, I wouldn't say infamous, but the great Colorado-Michigan uh, uh, football game with the uh, Cordell Stewart uh, end-of-game touchdown pass. Yeah, I, I always struggle with this question, Ken, because, you know, it's just, some some great events I saw that I didn't write a great story about. Some of the best stories I've written were not about events at all. Um, they were about talking to obscure figures in a quiet room somewhere or discovering a story in a library. Um, so I, I'll skip those and just say, I mean, I'm always going to remember watching Christian, Christian Leitner's shot go through the net in the spectrum in 1992 um, to beat Kentucky. Um you know, the best college basketball game ever played, I think, and certainly the best college event I ever covered. Um, you know, I was I was there for, for the David Tyree catch at that Super Bowl. Um, I was there to see Tyson win the world championship uh, for the first time um, in, in Las Vegas by beating Trevor Burbick. Um, all those were, you know, amazing experiences. I, I saw Usain Bolt in Beijing in 2008, London 2012, Rio 2016, um, I saw a lot of Michael Phelps' gold medals, and I, and I know Michael really well, and we talk all the time. Um, you know, just, just a lot of things that just you don't forget. But, again, a lot, of, a lot of smaller moments that led to great stories as well. Tim, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at by Tim Layden. Okay. So that's B-Y and then my name, Tim Layden. Okay. And, uh, so you can find me there and uh, – I don't get too feisty on there, but I do try to share share work and and share other people's work. Well, Tim, I appreciate a few minutes uh, talk about uh, your new job, your years at the uh, Schenectady Gazette. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for coming on this Parting Shots podcast. Thanks a lot, Ken. All right, that's Tim Layden of NBC Sports Group. Up next, I'll speak with three former Major League Baseball players who were in town last Saturday. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hey, pro football fans. It's time again to match which with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em football game sponsored by River Sportsbook 
at dailygazette.com slash football. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the Parting Shots podcast. Last Saturday, three former members of the New York Yankees were at River Sportsbook in Schenectady to sign autographs and interact with the fans. I took a trip over there to speak with Mike Pagliarulo, Mike Torres, and Greg Nettles about the state of today's Major League Baseball. It's a different game now than the one they played, with emphasis on launch angles, exit velocity, infield shifts, and the use of relievers over starting pitchers going the distance. I first spoke with Mike Pagliarulo, who played five and a half seasons of his 11-year Major League career with the Yankees. He also won a World Series in 1991 with the Minnesota Twins. He had a 241 career batting average. Here's what he had to say. Mike, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Let me ask you, you played in the era of baseball when you know, there was no such thing as exit velo and uh, launch angles. How different is the game that you watch today, and do you like it? Well, it's, uh, there was exit velo, and there was other things. They just called it something else. <laughs> it was a different sound off the bat, and it was a different way it came off the bat. The way Dave Winfield hit the ball, uh, the way it came off his bat was just unbelievable. And, you know, and you knew it was uh, a lot of exit velo, but that's what they call it now. So it's really just a change in, in uh, terminology, maybe, um, in the way that they say it. But it's, it's uh, the same. The, the parts of the game that have changed that are a little stranger when you can't take a guy out at second or uh, you know the ball pitching inside it's that's a little tough to watch you know because that's part of the game and that's how you you get things done on the field and it's how the game's about um, you know you know you play a game of inches and, you, and and it's intimidation and you can't be afraid of anything out there you got to play and you know that's that, taking that stuff away it's becomes a little softer, you know. Yeah. I mean, the other thing also, the infield shifts now. Just uh, yeah, three guys on the right side of the infield or three guys on the left side of the infield. I mean, is, there, is it too much? And maybe it's Major League Baseball in a way should maybe look into the, trying to limit shifts? Well, I think that's really up to the offense of each team. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, you have a tactical way of approaching the game. And, and, and the name of the game to win the game is to score runs. So you need guys on base to do that unless you're going to hit all home runs. And the best way to do that is hit the ball the other way if you can. So, I mean, for me, I want to get runners on base. And uh, the best way we can do that, if they're going to give us the side of the field, well, gonna, that's where we're going to hit the ball. Unless our big boys are up there and they can hit the ball out of the park, it's a different story. You don't want them sacrificing their swing. But, you know, like, uh, but, but basically it's it's up to the teams to do that, and you know they should manage it, and maybe they score more runs. Yeah. Also, pitching today, and, and, you know, when you played, starters went seven to eight innings, even you know, more, a lot more complete games. Now it's a bullpen game. I mean, is this point, is it a point where bullpens are getting taxed and starting pitching uh, needs to be uh, reestablished? I don't know enough about pitching. I know that uh, I know that they're worried about pitchers getting hurt. Uh, it seemed like they threw more pitches and knew how to pitch longer into the game years ago, uh, and those guys didn't get hurt much. <laughs> I don't know why, but it seems like there's all this precaution, precautionary stuff about injuries and everything. And I mean, you don't want guys getting hurt, but 
you know, you, you gotta you gotta know how to pitch. I mean, even when you even when you don't have your good stuff. I mean, the greatest pitchers they took the ball no matter what. You know, Roger Clemens and, and, and Guidry and, and uh, those guys they they always took the ball. Um, and it didn't matter. You know, they work around, find a way to get it done. Mike, appreciate you coming on for coming on the podcast. Enjoy your stay here at the uh, Rivers Casino. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Up next is Mike Torres, who is known as the pitcher who surrendered Bucky Dent's home run in the 1978 American League East Division one-game playoff at Fenway Park. Torres pitched 18 years in the majors, winning a World Series title with the 1977 Yankees. He compiled a 185 and 160 record and had 117 complete games. The complete game has nearly become extinct. I asked Torres about that. Here's what he had to say. Mike Torres, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's great. I'm glad to be here and uh, here at the River Casino. And uh, I've never been here before, but uh, it's nice. Is baseball today compared to when you pitch? I mean, you threw 117 complete games during your major league career. Pitchers today, if they get two in a season, is truly remarkable. I mean, it's just the state of pitching in baseball. How different is it, and do you like it? No, not really. I mean, um, of course, if I was pitching today, I'd like it. Uh, I only have to go five or six innings and get out of there. But uh, I don't think that's the reason you're not going to see many 20-game winners anymore uh, in the game. Uh, and, you know, uh, guys are getting uh, blown out. Their arms are they're, – what they're doing is coming in. It seems like baseball has hired uh, these people to get guys that throw 95-plus and then – pitch for one inning you know everything's uh, becoming just a, like a one inning pitcher anymore and as hard as you can throw it and that's what they want and instead of guys that can pitch they've taken out they've taken finesse pitching out of baseball you know analytics have a lot to do with that you think oh hell yeah yeah because you know what i, I don't believe in that because you know these guys that come up with that uh, the analytics and all this about the speed the rotation of the ball if you can make the ball sink and, and throw it at 88 miles an hour and get guys to ground out, I mean, that was the game, you know. You, you set up like that, and you knew how to pitch. And But like I said, uh, they, they've taken the art out of pitch and try to, you know, uh, finesse hitters and get them out. Today, they just come in there and try to throw as hard as they can for one inning and get out of there. Maybe the one benefit pitchers have today is the we're seeing more and more infield shifts. You know, three guys on one side of the field, the side of the field. Is this good for baseball? It seems like it's taking the offense out. But as a pitcher, do, do you like that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if it if it benefits me, why not? Uh, yeah, we didn't have too much of that in, in our era. Uh, you know, I think guys played their position, and uh, we didn't do all the shifting and everything the way they do today. And uh, like I said, the game has really changed, and it's. Uh, I don't know if I like it. Uh, I, I, it's gotten to be where the game's too long now. You know, I went to a game in uh, Tampa Bay and inside the Dome, and by the sixth inning, I was starting to fall asleep and with all the pitching changes. It was just, like, real boring. I couldn't believe it. And just like, let me get out of here. I'm, you know, I, just, I don't know. They've taken a lot, I think, baseball has away from pitching right now. Yeah, one rule they're talking about implementing, I think, next year is uh, the p- relief pitchers got to face at least three batters uh, in an inning. Is that something they should they should look into or not? Well, I, you know, like I said, they're coming up with all these little things that they keep trying to invent. You know, they're trying to make the game harder than what it should be, and unfortunately, that 
the young players today that are, are playing in that environment. And I don't know, they're getting paid big, big money, but uh, to me, they've taken a lot of the fun out of what the game should be like. The Yankees today, they, uh, they, a couple of days ago, clinched the uh, AL East. Uh, you, you, do you watch a lot of them? How impressed are you with them? Well, they, they, they have some concerns. They, their pitching staff uh, is hurting. And, uh, you know, they have a, a good team. they got a lot of guys that were not healthy, you know, for the year, uh, main guys. Um, and But you know what? They had the guys that came up that they brought in uh, to do, and they did, they've done a hell of a job, you know, being where they're at now. Mike, appreciate a few minutes of your okay. thoughts. Right, appreciate it. All right, thank you. Finally, there is Greg Nettles, a no-nonsense player during his 22-year Major League career, 11 of which were spent with the Yankees. He played in five World Series, four with the Yankees, and one with the San Diego Padres, and was on the 1977 and 1978 Yankee Championship teams. Here are Nettles' thoughts on today's game. Greg, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Let me ask you this, baseball. You played in a time when maybe they didn't – Launch angles or no such thing, exit velo. They probably call it something different. Right. Today's game's focused on that. The home run's the king. Nobody cares about the strikeouts. Uh, is, how different is this game from the one you played? Completely different. I mean, like I say, like you said, that the guys don't even care if they strike out anymore. We used to kind of have a little bit of pride where we didn't want to strike out. Well, it doesn't seem to matter to these guys anymore. They just swing hard at the first pitch and swing harder at the second pitch and harder at the third pitch. So, I mean, it's a completely different game. Yeah, I was looking up your stats. You never struck out over 100 times in your career. I mean, is that something you look back now with pride? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that used to be the benchmark, you know, 100, 100, 100 uh, strikeouts. You could keep keep under that. You kind of had a, you were proud of yourself. Put it that way. Then now it just doesn't seem to matter. Also, the game we're seeing a lot more infield shifts and you're taking away potential hits. Is that something you you, you wish maybe baseball would take a look at? Maybe outlaw? No, not necessarily. No, I just it's up to the hitter just to. I mean, they're giving you the bunt. The third baseman's playing over at shortstop. They're giving you a bunt. So why not just bunt the ball and get a base hit? Same as hitting a line drive to right field. So. I, mean, I just think it's up to the, the hitters to adjust, and they're just they're just not adjusting to it. This Yankees team, uh, you know, a few days ago when we were taping this, they clinched the AL East. Uh, how many games you get to see, and how, how impressed are you with this, this team, and this, especially with all the injuries they've had? I'm impressed with them, the job that they've done. with, the, Like I said, with all the, the injuries they've had, and... Uh, you know, it just every day it seems like another guy goes down, but they just they just don't miss a step. They just they just keep on winning. So, I mean, I I follow them. They're they're the only team I follow now. I, I couldn't tell you two guys that play on Oakland A's. You know, but but I but I, I know who the Yankees are, and I I follow them on a daily basis. I overheard you talk with one of the fans here about you know, maybe seeing like to see a Yankees Dodgers series. You played three times against them in the World Series, winning twice. I mean, how good would it be for baseball to have these two teams playing for the World Series uh, in October? I think it'd be great. It was it was great way back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s when they played each other, and it was great when we played them in the 70s. So I love it'd be great to have a nice little. Uh, Rival, if they could both get in the World Series every year, it'd be great. Appreciate you coming on, Greg. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. My thanks to Mike Pagliarulo, Mike Torres, and Greg Nettles. Coming up, Daily Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly gives us his five high school football games to watch this weekend, and he will talk about the departure of wide receiver Dev Holmes from the U Albany football team. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today.
Hi, this is Hunter Moffitt, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletics. Notable Trophy Case team members include Dan Nolan, President and CEO of Hugh Johnson Advisors, owner of the Albany Empire, who says, Trophy Case is an innovative platform that has great potential for athletes. Nolan said, The feedback and experience brings value to athletes, parents, and sports affiliates in one network. I simply think of this as a combination of Instagram and LinkedIn for athletes. You can download the Trophy Case app at the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes, by athletes. Get it today. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back on the Parting Shots podcast, and Daily Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly makes his weekly appearance to talk high school football. But first, Mike, we have uh, some other news to talk about concerning the Albany football program with news breaking this week that uh, wide receiver Dev Holmes of Troy High School has left the team and uh, sort of had an inkling something might happen because he was suspended uh, the week before, and Greg Catusa, the head coach, didn't specify how long the suspension would be, so you had to wonder if this was going to end like this, and it, it did. Right, yeah, yeah. I guess he's still suspended. Um, yeah, you know, just a weird situation for a former Section 2 star who had a really great start to his UAlbany career last year through the first few games. Um, you know, like you said, uh, was suspended uh, last week um, heading into the team's game against Lafayette, and no reason really given, no, you know, time of the suspension, the length of it was given. Um, and then we find out Monday that uh, he's no longer a member of the program. Um, you know, and this week, uh, you know, spoke with uh, Coach Catuso yesterday. Um, still, you know, no real details about, you know, why Holmes had left other than that Holmes, you know, didn't want to be there. That's according to Catuso. Uh, I haven't been able to make contact with uh, with Holmes directly. Do you think he was frustrated with the way he was being used? I mean, he got off to a great start, as you said, last year, but sort of faded as the season went along and didn't really seem to be a big contributor this year. Yeah. So last year, the thing was, you know, he had the great, you know, first, I think it was four games. Um, and then defenses really started to swarm to him. Um, whereas this year, you know, uh, you know, you all mean likes to say that their offense doesn't necessarily like target any individual receivers. They take, you know, what the defense gives them. Um, but it really didn't seem like he was a huge part of the game plan in any of the, the first uh, three games, the, the games that he did play in. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the week before they, you know, uh, Coach Catuso had said that, you know, he, he knew that Dev was frustrated. Um, Holmes, you know, didn't really go that far in describing how he felt. Um, I do think it's really notable, though. Uh, they play on Saturday out at Monmouth. That's their third game. And by the time Tuesday comes around, which is the first practice that's open to media, uh, Holmes had been suspended. So something happened Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, um, 
before we get to Tuesday. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation. Um, it's tough for uh, a lot of people around here who really liked going to watch him play with, uh, with the local ties that he had. I mean, Coach Gattuso would not really want to get in specifics. But it's, it leads you to believe that maybe Dev wasn't happy with his role. And now what, now what happens with Dev now? Does he get looked at by other colleges? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he's, he's very talented. Um, he showed he could play the slot, you know, out the slot extremely well um, through those first few games. Um, you know, he's somebody that, you know, he's going to catch on somewhere. Um, you could really talk me into any level you know, that he could be a factor at, um, probably difficult for him to go, you know, to a super high level or anything like that, just because these last eight, you know, eight, nine, 10 games that he played, there wasn't a lot of production. He did show in those first few games though, that he's, you know, a game changing type talent, um, at least at, you know, uh, an FCS level. Uh, how do you think coach Catuso handled the situation? We don't really know, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. uh, you know, he, he wasn't really willing yeah. to, to, to talk about a lot. I guess you, um, you know, from a uh, a totally U Albany football program standpoint, you know, I guess there's some credit to handling it relatively quickly. Um, that it wasn't a situation that dragged on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, at the same time, Jeff Holmes was a really good player, and he's no longer a member of the program. Um, without really any ex- explanation for why that is, um, which, uh, you know, is, is going to leave a lot of people unsettled. How do you think uh, you all want to go from here? I mean, obviously they, they won against Lafayette, but now getting ready for a Colonial Athletic Association play. Sure. Well, so, I mean, the, the, the loss of homes for this year, you know, isn't – probably a huge deal because they weren't really using him. <laughs> you know, he wasn't yeah. really contributing this year. So it's almost, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter at all, but uh, it wasn't, he didn't have a major role through the games that he played. Um, CAA play is going to be really interesting this year for them. I think they're pretty confident being two and two with one of those losses being against an FBS uh, squad. Um, this week is, you know, it feels like every week for you Albany at home is a must win game. And that's what this is. They're playing William and Mary. They need to win that game. Um, because you know, in truth, they need to win every single home game that they play to really have a shot at doing anything. Um, and then they, at some point need to figure out how to win a game or two on the road. Well, let's move over to high school football and the uh, five games to watch here in week four, which will appear in Thursday's daily Gazette and online at dailygazette.com. Schenectady high school. Uh, rolling right now, two straight wins. They're coming off a big win over Colony, a 60-52, a shootout. Uh, and in the week four, they beat Green Tech 47-6. They take on Yodel in this uh, class double-A matchup Friday night. I mean, how big is this for Schenectady? For them, it's huge. You know, and they're the underdog in this game, but it's, you know, been years since Schenectady High School played a week four football game. It meant anything to them. Um, it probably meant some things to other teams who were, you know, looking to get a win to, to bolster their own playoff hopes. Um, this is a game that whoever wins it um, puts itself in fantastic position to gain one of the four playoff spots in Double A. Um, you know, I think most people, myself included, I'll, I'll pick Gilderland in this game. Um, you know, Gilliland's going to likely be there in the playoff mix at the end. Um, Schenectady is in kind of a spot where they need to win a game or two that people don't expect them to win to, to really put themselves in a spot to make the playoffs. And this is one of those opportunities. How surprising is Schenectady? I mean, obviously, no one, I don't think anybody expected this. I mean, the story 
I mean, they were looking still looking for a win at this time last year. Yeah, it's just been you know for it's been such a struggle <laughs> for them for for several years um, that you know to say anybody expected them to be two and one at this point, um, you know, it's probably just you know that coaching staff and those players. Um, you know, so this is huge for them. It's a home game for them, um, and it's a chance to to really you know give their you know season that's already had some highs uh you know the 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 best positive they've had so far what about Gildland? what are your thoughts about them i think there's a really solid team um you know through these first few weeks they had a big win uh last week they played shaker really tough in week one you know i feel like sometimes when when teams lose in week one we kind of like write them off a little bit you know you kind of forget about them because you focus on these teams that are undefeated early on um, and Gillen lost to, you know, what's probably the best team in the area in week one, and then has come back with a couple wins. Um, I, I think that's a, a – to me, they're a clear top four team uh, in double-A. Um, that's why I expect them to win. CBA, Bethlehem, another uh, big double-A matchup. Uh, CBA uh, looking good right now. Yeah, and, and CBA is – you know, they, they got a huge win last week against Troy, which doesn't count as a double-A game. It's a, a cross – classification game um but you know that's a team that is undefeated um while bethlehem had the huge win in week two against saratoga um and then stumbled last week against gillen um so the winner of this one you know kind of similar to the first game we talked about um takes a huge step towards securing a playoff spot um i expect cba to win this one i'm really interested though to see them play against one of these teams that we think is a top five double A team because they haven't played any of them yet. Over to uh, Class A and a big matchup. Uh, they're on Route 50, Burn Hills and Boston Spot. I mean, that's going uh, be televised here locally. Uh, how big is this game for Boston Spot? I mean, they're coming off a huge win the other night, uh, last week, I should say. Sure. During the the seven weeks of the regular season, at least this is their this is their Super Bowl. <laughs> um, you know, and, unless they make it to a Super Bowl in Week Ten here. Um, they really, you know, I was, I was out covering their game last week at Mahanasin. Um, they really believe that they can win this week, which I think, you know, most years, um, you know, that they've been playing down at the class A level. Um, I don't think they've thought, you know, genuinely that they can take down this Burn Hills team. Um, at the same time though, Burn Hills is really good. Yeah. Uh, I will pick Burn Hills, but it's super tempting to take Boston spot home in a game that they're super pumped to go play. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Uh, also by hosting the game, man, how I mean, does that give them a little uh, push, a little edge, a uh, little advantage? It should. I mean, you know, they're at home. Um, that place should be excited for this one because the teams – I mean, Boston Spa has been playing extremely well all year. I mean, they played Queensbury super tight in week one, um, then a couple of blowout wins week two and week three. Um, you know, I think they get a boost from being at home because I think that crowd is going to be into it, and I would expect there to be a lot of people at that game. Over Class B, you're picking Broad Island Perth at Johnstown. It seems like a, a pivotal game for both teams. Broad Island Perth, uh, 0-1 in the divisional games. Johnstown is at 1-2. and Yeah, you know, these two teams, I mean, it's a rivalry matchup for them, and, you know, especially these last few years, it always seems like whoever wins this game gets to go to the playoffs eventually, and that's how it looks this year as well. Um, you know, these are, you know, two teams that are probably fighting for the fourth playoff spot in that North division class B, um, and the winner of this one, you know, in all likelihood ends up going to the playoffs. And who's that winner going to be? I'm going to take Broad and Perth. Um, 
That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Class C matchup: Find the Fultonville at Waterville Elite. Uh, find the three and zero in the year. Waterville Elite, uh, one and one. Um, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is one. It's a non-divisional game in Class C. Um, both these teams, you know, I mean, found us three and zero. Waterville Elite's one and one. They they didn't play one of the weeks. Um, both these teams are pretty good, and it's finally you know Class C has three divisions. It's got forget off the top of my head, it's got 16 or 17 teams in it. Um, and it's kind of difficult to compare or evaluate some of those teams because they play only in their division. So this is a cross-division game where you get a chance to see how, you know, some of these teams that don't normally see each other will do against each other. Um, I expect Fonda to win the game, um, but it should be very competitive and it should give us a glimpse into the, the Class C scene overall. And we have a bonus game to pick. We have a bonus game, yeah. Usually we do five games, but also just – Warrensburg and Whitehall play this week on Saturday. Um, both teams are 3-0 and in Class D. Um, I think Warrensburg has established itself, especially with Chatham's loss last week. Warrensburg has established itself as the top team um, in that class to date. Um, that's who I would pick in this game. But Whitehall has been very impressive and, and gets a shot this week to show that, you know, it's not just Warrensburg and Chatham in that class, that, that Whitehall is right in that discussion. Well, that will lead us into the power rankings. Class D, Warrensburg, and Whitehall both moving up. Warrensburg, number one, Whitehall, two. Chatham falls to three. Uh, Corinth, four, Edward, and uh, Huddleberg Valley, same spots, four and five. So that wraps up Class D for you right there. In the sure, yeah. Uh, class double nothing really changed there. Uh, Shaker, Shen, Gildelin, uh one, two, three, as they were last week. And Bethlehem CBA flipped spots at four and five. Bethlehem uh, CBA four, Bethlehem at five. Yeah, so, I mean, Bethlehem lost last week, CBA won. Uh, nature of power rankings. There you go. Yeah. Uh, over in Class A, Burn Hills uh, remains number one. Queensbury moves up two spots from four to two. Able Park stayed at three. The Troy loss uh, hurt them. They go from uh, two to four, and Baldwin Spot stays at five. Um, so basically, you know, Troy's loss was the only big factor there. Yeah, that class, you know, I think we've said it a few times, but it's the depth is tremendous in Class A. And as much as it, it, it Burn Hills is number one because it's very easy just to put Burn Hills at one and move on. There has been times where I've thought those five teams that you just listed, we could put them pretty much in any order. I'd feel good about it. Um, but Burn Hills is, you know, three-time defending champ. They stay up top uh, until they lose. Class B, no changes at all. Glens Falls, Holy Trinity, Schuylerville, Cobleskill, Richmondville, and Shawmont. Yeah, and that's one where, you know, some of the, those teams have already played each other for the most part. Um, that that one through five in that order, I think you can pretty much uh, – we, we can maybe instead of pencil use pen, <laughs> that that's how it's going to be uh, through, through week seven. And Class C, Stillwater moves ahead of Cambridge-Salem for the top spot. Cambridge-Salem goes to number two. Greenville, uh, Greenwich uh, goes to three, or stays at three. Uh, Fonda's at four, and Voorheesville is five. So basically, one and two flip flop. Yeah, but big week for Greenville jumping into the football power rankings, right? Yeah, we're at Greenwich. <laughs> yeah, Greenville. So, yeah, yeah so, so Stillwater moves up to number one, though. Um, you know, C- Cambridge is, you know, they are, actually, I was talking with uh, Stillwater's coach, Ian Godfrey, earlier this year, and, you know, he referred to Cambridge as, you know, that's the mountain that you have to climb in kind of small school football in this area. Um, but Stillwater's just been so impressive this year, um, you know, running up some huge numbers in, you know, first halves of games um, that, you know, I, I thought they deserve uh, moving up to number one. Okay. Well, Mike, appreciate the few minutes about high school football and uh, the UAlbany uh, Dev Home situation. And we'll talk more high school football next week here on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Gazette uh, Sports Editor Mike Kelly. 
I'll be back to wrap up the podcast. So we have some news uh, concerning the podcast that you'll be excited about. And uh, just uh, wrap things up in a couple minutes here on the Daily Gazette uh, uh, podcast with uh, Parting Shots. And uh, stumbling over my words here. It's amazing. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute here on the Parting Shots podcast. Now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hi, this is Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss. Once again, I'll be going head-to-head with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott with my weekly NFL picks and defending my championship. Go to dailygazette.com slash blogs and look for my picks on my Thinking It Through blog. You can find Ken's picks at dailygazette.com slash sports. to wrap up the podcast and as sarah said look for her nfl picks along with mine at dailygazette.com i maintain my five game lead over sarah as we both went 10 and 6 in week three i'm 32 15 and 1 sarah is 27 20 and 1 also look for my blogs on nfl and college football tv covers this week you can find it at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots as i mentioned at the end of the mike kelly segment i have some news about the podcast we are adding a second Parting Shots podcast that will focus on Union College hockey and NCAA hockey. Daily Gazette Union beat writer Mike McGannon will join me each week to discuss the Dutchman, and we'll have some guests on as well. That podcast will be posted every Friday starting October 4th, just ahead of Union's season opener against Boston University on October 5th. Also, my ECAC Hockey Faceoff Challenge returns for another season. I'll post my picks mostly on Thursdays during the season. There may be some oddball weeks where the post will come up earlier. Uh, you can send your picks to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. That contest will start next Friday, and it's free, and it's a lot of fun. So please uh, think about playing. And that wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Union men's hockey player Jack Adams, NBC Sports Group writer and former Schenectady Gazette sports writer Tim Layden, former New York Yankees players Greg Nettles, Mike Torres, and Mike Pagliarulo, and Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. The Parting Shots Podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot at dailygazette.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Good day, good sports. <laughs>